When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the review for this test, there's 30 questions. It covers uh, those topics 4.1 through 4.14. We do skip uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, because that is the judicial branch, and we'll do that after spring break. Um, so this covers the Congress. It covers the president and the bureaucracy. A lot of the questions are blended, so I struggled what topic to put them in because a lot of them deal with uh, what the Congress can do to the president, what president can do with the uh, bureaucracy, so on and so forth. So, you know, as you look at this, 4.1 seems pretty light, but uh, a lot of the stuff from 4.2 could have fit in 4.1 as well. So just keep that in mind that a lot of these things kind of blend together uh, as the questions go. But let's run through this um, and get it knocked out. So 4.1, the filibuster. Remember, this is a Senate-only tool. OK, because the Senate allows for unlimited debate. And typically you'll hear people say that this is used to kill a bill. Uh, but remember, the filibuster is just used to try and delay action. You're trying to, as the minority party, you're trying to put pressure on the majority party by basically stopping work from happening in the Senate. So the Senate doesn't just have like two or three bills they're working on. They have a bunch hundreds of bills they're working on. And if you're delaying this, then you're stopping all that other stuff from getting done as well. And so with the filibuster, that's that's the goal there, uh, is to just try and stop the Senate from working on anything else other than this. And you do get up there and you do not release your time and you're talking and talking and talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, how can you end a filibuster? Well, you can have someone make a cloture motion. So that's C-L-O-T-U-R-E. Uh, a cloture motion just says we're going to stop debate and we're going to vote on the issue. So if the cloture motion passes and you need 60 people to say yes, then the filibuster is over. So that's why, you know, if people have 60 members in the Senate uh, from their political party, then they're considered to have a super majority because they can really do whatever they want to at that point. All right, moving on to 4.2, the House Rules Committee. So it is a House only thing. And remember, it's the most powerful committee in all of Congress uh, because they get to set the agenda for a bill. So a bill gets introduced in the House. It goes to its standing committee. It gets worked on and then it's ready to go to the full House for debate and then vote. However, it makes a stop first. It goes to the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee sets the agenda for it. It says we're going to talk about it on this date. It says who's going to talk. It says for how long. Uh, is it an open or closed process? Meaning can you add amendments to this bill? Can you not add amendments to this bill? So they have a lot of say-so over what's going to happen to a bill once it gets out of committee. Um, they also work with the Speaker of the House. Uh, to set the agenda. So the Speaker of the House's agenda is kind of the Rules Committee's agenda. So just a lot of power there. 
All right, the House versus the Senate differences. Uh, a couple of things. Remember, the House is much more formal than the Senate. The House has all kinds of rules in place because there's so many people. There's 435 House members versus 100 uh, senators. So it's much easier. I shouldn't say it's easier. It's still difficult to have a conversation with 100, 100 people, uh, but it's a lot easier than with 435. So the House is going to be very strict, very stringent on their debate rules versus the Senate, which does not. Uh, have those. Okay. Uh, the Speaker of the House is the most powerful position in all of Congress because they run Congress. They run the House. Now, there is not a Speaker of the House on the Senate side. So do not ever say or write that the Speaker of the Senate does this, this, and this because there's no such thing. Uh, you do have a President of the Senate, which is the Vice President, who's never there. And you have a President pro temp of the Senate who's in place of the president of the Senate because the vice president is never there, but they don't have the power that the Speaker of the House does. The Senate is run by the majority and minority leader with the majority leader taking the point. The Speaker of the House, though, uh, they are going to run the agenda for the House. All right. So if they want something done, they put it on the agenda. All right. Uh, they can push whatever, if they want to push the president's agenda, if they have their own agenda they want to push, if they want to push their party agenda, whatever it is, they can make the legislation happen because they run the majority party. And typically, as the majority party, you're going to have the majority votes. So if you really want to pass something on the House side, you'll probably have the votes. Right now, it's a pretty thin margin. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's, you know, 200 and something to 200 and something. So it's pretty close. So if any Democrats on the House side are like, we're not going to vote with the Democrats on this issue, uh, it, it becomes an issue for the Democrats and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, because it is such a race within margin uh, in the House. But if you have a, a vast majority, then you really do whatever you want to. Uh, majority leader of the House. So there's a specific question about the majority leader. Remember, they're going to work with the Speaker. And uh, they're the right-hand person of the speaker. You don't hear too much about the majority leader of the, the House, uh, but they are going to help the speaker uh, round up votes, uh, put people on committees, uh, pick out the leadership, um, and just do things that the, the speaker needs. Congressional oversight. Uh, remember, this is a huge deal for, the, for both the House and the Senate. Uh, they provide oversight to the bureaucracy. So if the bureaucracy, and we talked about this in class on, on Tuesday, the 29th, um, if the bureaucracy is not doing something that Congress wants, any of the, the committees have the power and the ability to, to call in someone from that bureaucratic agency and question them. Uh, they can also call in private citizens. It doesn't just have to be um, people from the, from the bureaucracy. It can be public citizens. We talked about Zuckerberg. Uh, and Facebook get called in, or what, what are they now, Meta, Meta or something like that. So um, anyways, it's a huge tool. It's a very powerful tool that the, the Congress has because whatever the answers are in that committee hearing, that oversight hearing, uh, can lead to changes in the bureaucracy, changes in the leadership, changes in the budget. All kinds of things can happen because of that congressional oversight. All right, 4.3, President Agenda versus Congressional Constituency. So basically the question here is when the president has an agenda that does not line up with your constituency. So if basically you are uh, from a Republican area and you have a Democratic president, 
the question is going to be, who are you going to side with? And usually you're going to side with your constituency because guess who reelects you? Your constituency, not the president. Okay. So when the president's agenda is different from what your constituency wants, you as a congressional member are going to side with your constituency. Committees, uh, this is where all the work takes place in Congress. All right. Uh, people need to understand that literally no work takes place on the House floor or the Senate floor. Okay. Yes, they get on there and debate and talk and discuss things. But when it comes to how a bill becomes a law, it gets introduced and then it goes to whatever committee it goes to. And that's where they do all the work. They're going to put in time by having hearings on the, on the bill. They'll call in experts. They'll make changes, adjust it, and all that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, and then they'll send it to the full House or the full Senate where they will debate it. Now, can things happen on the House floor or the Senate floor? Sure. But most of the stuff is going to take place in those committees where that's where they're going to work. All right, gerrymandering. Remember, this comes from our redistricting stuff. So when the census happens and populations have changed and shifted, we have something that is called reapportionment, meaning we shift around the 435 House seats. Uh, if a state loses population, then uh, other states probably gained population. If they gained enough population to get above their threshold, they gain a seat. If they gain a seat, that means another state has to have lost a seat. This also leads to redistricting. Every state, whether they gain a seat or not, can, can redistrict uh, where they redraw the lines. Georgia did not gain any seats. We didn't lose any seats in the House, but we are redistricting after the 2020 census. And so we're changing our districts because we did have population shifts within the, the state people moving out of the, the rural areas and into the, the metro areas, or people just coming into the metro area from other places, all righty? So we have to make a change because we need to, to try and adhere to the fact that we want to have one person, one vote, meaning we have as equal representation as possible, okay? And so we're going to, you know, Gwinnett's population shift, we have lots of people here, uh, our lines are being redrawn because of that. But that leads to gerrymandering. All right, gerrymandering, remember, is the process where the legislature, the state legislature, because they're the ones that draw these lines, they draw the lines to benefit them and their political parties. Okay. Um, and it happens on both sides. You don't think it's just a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. It's both sides. They'll redraw the lines to benefit them. Uh, gerrymandering is legal. Okay. It can happen. But remember, now it can be challenged. So Georgia's lines, I, I have not researched them enough to know what the proposal is and what they look like and if I can make a decision on if they have been gerrymandered or not. I don't know. Uh, I have a feeling that since it's Republican controlled uh, because of how we live nowadays, the Democrats are going to challenge the lines. Okay. Even if they're the most fair lines in the history of lines, uh, they're probably still going to be challenged just because uh, one side did them versus the other. And it's just how we are nowadays. All right. 4.4 powers of the president. Um, Remember, the president only has a couple formal powers. The president can veto stuff. All right. Uh, the president controls the military. Uh, and those are really the, the main formal powers. The president can also appoint ambassadors and judges and things like that. Um, but the main formal powers they have, it says in the Constitution, hey, the president can veto this. The president controls the military. 
Okay. A lot of the other things are informal, like executive orders. As, as much as that sounds like a formal thing, it's really just an informal power that the president has because they are in control of the bureaucracy. They can send these directives to the president, I mean, to the, the bureaucracy. Uh, executive agreements, treaties with other countries, that's an a, a informal power, okay? It doesn't say anywhere in there that the president can do this, but they have taken it uh, from the fact that they can negotiate a treaty. Uh, and remember the main thing about those two things are that they get out of Senate approval. Okay. Uh, next up there is signing statements. So the signing statement, this is an informal power of the president, informal power of the president. Yeah, I thought I, it felt like I said it wrong in my head. All right. Uh, this is something the president does when they have a piece of legislation that they have signed into law. They are allowed to write up basically, this is how I interpret this law. So Congress sends them something. They agree with it to an extent they can write up and send to the bureaucracy. This is how I want you to enforce this law. So they get to put their kind of stamp on it because the president does not have the ability to strike out pieces of legislation. All right. They can't pick and choose what they want to, to enforce. They have to take the whole thing or they have to veto the whole thing. But with the signing statement, they can kind of put their stamp on it by sending to the bureaucracy. Hey, this is how I interpret this law. And this is how uh, I want to see you, uh, enforce it. The vetoes, uh, to be honest with you, the question on the test is a graph. So you really don't need to know vetoes too much, but we're going to talk about them very quickly. But on the test, there is a line graph there. Okay. So vetoes, this is the president being able to get rid of a bill. Okay. That the, the Congress has sent them. They can also use a pocket veto. A pocket veto is where if Congress sends them something 10 days before they adjourn, the president can just let it sit and it dies because everything has to be done uh, by the time they adjourn. Okay. So the pocket veto is just a, another way. Uh, and it gets around the, the, the potential for an override because once it dies like that, uh, it has to start all over versus a veto where they can just vote two thirds and overturn something. All right. Checks on the president by Congress. So uh, there's a couple different questions on here about that. One of them is a, a piece of legislation that you have to read and interpret and talk about the, the potential check that it's uh, creating. Uh, the two that are right there, the impeachment process, remember the House can charge the president with something, okay? So treason, bribery, high crime and misdemeanor, and then it goes to the Senate. The House makes the charges, the Senate uh, is going to have the trial and they'll decide to kick somebody out. We've never had a president kicked out. All right. Because it does take a high threshold, two thirds of the Senate has to approve versus just half of the, the house, uh, nominations. The president does nominate several positions, su Supreme court, uh, ambassadors and things like that. And then it has to go to the Senate for approval. And so that's a check that Congress has on the president Senate specifically because they get to uh, approve all of those things. Types of representation, and I'm not sure why it falls under 4.5. So, you know, that's part of the presidency, but this is really more of a congressional uh, thing. But anyways, uh, the first one there, the delegate. Okay, the delegate, they act for their constituents and they do what they think the constituency wants them to do. So the delegate is going to act in mine and yours best interest. 
Okay. Versus the trustee who is going to do what they think is best, regardless of what the, the, uh, the constituency feels. Okay. So the delegate is going to act in our best interest. The trustee is going to act as, or however they think we, what's best for us. Okay. Uh, the Politico is just a combination of the two. And this is what most politicians do because on the small things, they can take the trustee role and just do whatever they think. If they think it's not going to be a big deal, delegate, they're going to do when it's something that's going to be a huge deal and going to make national headlines. The president's cabinet, uh, it's a group of advisors to the president. Uh, and just know and understand they have varying levels of influence over the president. Secretary of State, they meet with the president on a daily basis because there's so much stuff going on with foreign countries and, and, and actions around the country, world and things like that. The Department of Transportation probably is not going to meet with the president on a daily basis. The Department of Agriculture probably doesn't have much influence over the president. Okay, uh, so just understand that. All right, last few things there. Uh, presidential checks on Congress. Really, the veto is the main one. Uh, that's really the only uh check that the president has yes the president can go speak to the country that whereas the house and the senate really can't do that uh but that's not really a formal power okay a, a formal uh check that they have fed 70 uh remember this was hamilton's argument for a strong energetic leader uh there was all kinds of proposals about the the potential for a president from having a tribunal uh and things like that and Hamilton is arguing we need one person that's a strong leader that can make quick decisions. All right. Because if you get into the process of having two, three, four people to try and make decisions, then you get into arguments and it's just quicker for one person to make a decision. The presidential amendments. Uh, there's a couple of them. The 12th Amendment, remember, set up the way we're going to elect the president to try and solve the problem of having uh, a president and vice president that are from two different parties. We don't want uh, you know, Trump being uh, Biden's vice president, because that would be uh, hilarious, but also very poor for the country. OK, the 20th Amendment sets the inauguration date for the president of January 20th. So it reduces the time uh, of the election to the inauguration from November to March to November to January. So there's a time there where the president really has no power, no authority, because who wants to listen to someone who's leaving office? And so let's shorten that time. The 22nd Amendment is going to set the terms for the president. Uh, it's going to say, hey, you can only serve two terms for 10 years, depending upon when you take over as vice president. And then finally is the 25th Amendment, which sets up the line of succession. Uh, so you've got the president, the vice president, and then it gets into Congress, and then it goes to the cabinet positions. All right. Uh, all right, getting into the bureaucracy. And there's no 4.13, but... That's because a lot of the stuff from 4.12 could fit into 4.13 as well. So I kind of struggled where I put it. Uh, and on the test, you'll see I've labeled them. Some of them say 4.12 and 13. Uh, I just decided to go with 4.12 for everything. Okay, but this is just the bureaucracy. Uh, all right, so first off, the Hatch Act. Uh, remember, this was a bill that was created to stop bureaucratic agents from taking part in politics within their job. So they're not going to be able to go out and campaign. They should not do anything within their job that is going to be considered political. They're supposed to be neutral as bureaucratic agents. All right. Uh, and we're dealing with people, though. 
So sometimes uh, it, it does happen and they get questioned by Congress. It depends on who's in charge and who, who it helped and who it hurt. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's something that's still out there. Responsibilities of the bureaucracy. Their main responsibility is to enforce the laws that Congress has created. So Congress writes up the laws, the president signs them, and then the president's job is to enforce them. The president has the bureaucracy to assist with that enforcement. Powers of the bureaucracy. Uh, they have some pretty powerful things they can do. Mainly, uh, they get to write up the regulations for all the laws that are out there. So basically, Congress sends the bureaucracy, these laws, without much guidance. They send it to them and Congress, I mean, the, the bureaucracy gets to read them and make decisions about them, but they can make decisions on how they're going to enforce. They can make decisions about uh, how they're going to charge people, uh, fines, jail time, whatever it might be. The semi-legislative and judicial powers of the bureaucracy, this is that ability to read and interpret laws, okay, and then make decisions about how they're going to enforce and what charges they're going to bring against people. All that stuff is, is part legislative and part judicial. And you run into a problem there because we have a separation of powers issue, all right? The president, they lost the power to be able to, to take away certain parts of a bill because the Supreme Court said, hey, that's too much of a legislative power and you're violating the separation of powers, but they've left it in the hands of the bureaucracy. So you do get into some separation of power issues there. Government corporations, remember these are businesses run by the government. The Postal Service is one, the TVA and all those things, uh, basically businesses that are run uh, and are supposed to make money, although they don't all do that. And then finally, Congress control the bureaucracy. Remember, we, we gave kind of a top three. The two big ones are the fact that they have oversight over the, the uh, bureaucracy, and they also have the, uh, the power of the purse. They control the money, the budget of these bureaucratic agencies. Uh, so those are the big ones. Uh, they can also make laws that are going to affect the bureaucracy. So if they want to, if they don't like the way that somebody, the, somebody's enforcing something, then maybe they go back to the drawing board and they just rewrite a law uh, for that stuff. All right, so there's the review for the test. The test is on Thursday the 31st. Uh, it's 30 questions. We'll take it and then we'll do test corrections in class on Friday.